the Grill, and I'm your host. My name is Paul from Grilling with Coda. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Grilling with Coda to stay dialed into the latest podcast news, and you can check out what I'm grilling up next. Now, typically, on the grill is a little different, but today I wanted to try something a little more edgy and just shoot from the hip. Calling this version of On the Grill Quick Bites, just a shorter version of On the Grill, but just as fun. Now, let me introduce my next guest, Jarrett Everett from at Jarrett Everett. Jarrett, what's going on, buddy? What is up? Thanks for having me on. Uh, pretty pumped. Uh, this is kind of like my first podcast to be on. So if you're listening, it sounds kind of funny. Just know that a little nervous, a little excited. So uh, you're doing great, buddy. Um, Big Jarrett. College Station, Texas. Is that right? Yeah. Um, originally grew up in Dallas and thought I wanted to go to school at Texas A&M. Uh, and then got down here and kind of went into the workforce and then kind of realized like, hey, this is a pretty cool place. So I might as well just kind of hang out down here. And so met my wife down here and we just like, hey, let's just hang out here. She's from East Texas, which if you're not familiar with Texas is very um country to say the least and so she always had the dreams of living in the big city life and growing up in the big city i was like i want to live out in the country and it's just like the perfect mix we're like five minutes from like a kroger but 20 minutes from being out of town to where i can go hunting and stuff like that so love it here if anybody ever wants some mix like that 1010 would recommend all right first question for you if i come over to the everett house What's the meal that's going to be cooked for me? Probably brisket, for sure. I'm a, I'm not like an outstanding chef or cook, but the one thing that I have kind of gotten into is barbecue. And of course, naturally being from Texas, being in a college town, college game day weekends, tailgating, like barbecue is like, I guess, kind of a staple food around here. So, um yeah, and it's kind of one of those things where it's a passion food, too, to where you're putting a lot of work into it, a lot of preparation. Um, don't really use, on my smoker, like strictly, you know, wood and coals, um, mainly wood, not as much coals. I don't what use, kind of wood are you using? Um, so I usually use oak. Uh, my in-laws usually give us some firewood, and it's usually a live oak or post oak. Uh, is this oak from their property from their part of texas yes so um yeah and so it's kind of cool um i'm kind of a big oak guy too so it's texas um we've got cedar which no one really likes to cook with um and then we've got uh god what's the other really green hardwood that i cannot think of all of a sudden um yeah, hickory, cedar, uh, um, oh, no, you're fine. But. It's uh, I, it's gonna bug the crap out of me that I can't think of what it is. Um, but it's kind of a really, it's it's kind of more of a a shrub style tree down in South Texas, I guess, and it's got a really, really distinct flavor, and I'm just not a fan of it. Um, so, but oak kind of has that perfect mix between like a hardwood whereas like you got like a, a, a cherry style tree like 
that's kind of got a sweeter taste to it that you we can a lot of people like to use for pork and oh, yeah. that's what i use i use a lot of cherry wood and so and i've experimented to where um you know i use the post oak logs for the fire and heat and the smoke but then i also have a pan that's got chips in it and i've experimented with using hickory chips in the water and you know that kind of also yeah it's kind of weird i it's kind of one of those things, especially, and I don't know about where, I don't know about California necessarily, but of course, brisket and barbecue in general is just such a big thing here. It's kind of like you never cook the brisket the same every single time, um, unless you're into, I guess, the um, tournament style barbecue um, stuff. Like those guys, they go out there, they cook exactly the same. It's going to taste almost the same pretty much every time. Yeah, there's just so many variables when it comes to a brisket. You got left or right, uh, right. You know, just weather. And it's just a long cook. There's so much. There's, right. there's such a large margin of error. But yeah, being from Texas, it's one of those staples that you have to hit. Um, I still have yet to make a brisket that I can brag about. It's one of those things that's kind of haunting me. So um, I'm kind of glad that you said if I was there to ever go, it'd be brisket because I think um, Texas holds the trophy for brisket i think ribs could go uh you can go st louis uh right, right. carolinas texas uh, i like to think california has a little place in ribs but uh texas does hold the brisket uh title uh very well so and i think has a lot to do with the tradition um and like you said the oak and that's why i asked because i think it's important that you cook with what's available to you right and uh so i think that's awesome well and I, and I think kind of too it's kind of what you grow up on as well um you know you kind of go to all the different areas of texas and um you know there's there's some areas where they've got like kind of um I guess it kind of falls into central Texas, you know, they got like mountain cedar. So they'll kind of use, use some of that to cook with. And it's just a different flavor. Just me growing up in the Dallas area, there's a lot of oaks up there. You go to restaurants, they're all cooking with oak. East Texas, there's a lot of oak. There's a lot of pine trees out there. No one really ever cooks with pine. It's just not that great of a smoky wood, but um, you know, they've got the, the, the oaks out there, Houston, kind of the same thing. Um, and then, uh, oh, mesquite tree. That's what I was thinking of. Earlier. Oh, mesquite. Damn it. And yeah, so mesquite's got that really distinct taste. But you go down to South Texas and everybody cooks with mesquite because that's pretty much what they got. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of different and it's different in different areas of Texas. And of course, everybody kind of seasons their stuff differently. Um, I'm kind of uh, uh, just your kind of regular salt and pepper guy. Uh, and that goes for lots of meats you know it could be my steaks um but uh kind of it's just you go i we you and i kind of talked about this but of course the followers don't really know but uh i went and did a photo shoot for a barbecue joint it was about an hour away from my house and they use like yeah. salt um, pepper cayenne cayenne pepper and like there's one other big thing in there and i'm it's kind of weird to say because in texas tex-mex is also like a big staple food too um for whatever reason i cannot handle spicy foods like the biggest baby i love the flavor of it love the taste but i cannot physically handle it, it makes me cry like snots like ugly like it's just so bad so fast and so um but when he was telling me there's cayenne pepper and i was like oh 
I don't know. I don't know. That I'm going to like this, but honestly, it was amazing. But it goes back that he was also using oak as well for his wood. Um, and then there's so many different processes. You know, you could even you you know, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of mesquite, but I may run into a restaurant or something. And they may have cooked it with mesquite, but they may have cooked it so fast that the smoke wasn't as strong. And then the seasoning they've got on it kind of, you know, covers up some, or I guess gives it more of a different taste. And so uh, that's kind of what I love about the brisket is that there's, there's so many ways to eat it. And it's all the same thing at the end of the day. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of probably what I'd cook. Um, you know, we're big steak fam, or I guess like, steak is big in texas as well but honestly i mean you can get a good steak in california get a good one up in new york um and so that's why i used to just say hey i've got someone coming into texas and i I actually had a few friends that did that a couple years ago they came from uh maryland or delaware or somewhere up there and um and we came and cooked them a brisket and it was actually my very first brisket that i had ever cooked and honestly it was probably my favorite that i've ever cooked too and i don't to this day i don't know why um but yeah it just i mean it was was great sweet and i mean uh that's awesome first brisket right out of the gate uh a winner hey and and that's what i thought too and then you go on to brisket two, and then i was like oh this isn't this wasn't as good as brisket one and now i don't know how much of it's a mental thing you know every time i cook one i'm like I don't know if this was, if that first one was just complete accident, had to be, but, or if I'm just remembering it as way better than it actually was. But, um, like I said, it's always kind of a work in progress. You change it up a little bit every time. You're like, okay, I like that. Okay, don't like that. Um, and there's a million ways to use brisket as leftovers too. And so uh, I think that's the nice thing about it as well. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to get into the uh, the barbecue joint you went to. You went to City Meat Market, Meat Market, correct? Right there in Giddings, Texas. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, voted top fifty barbecue restaurant three times in a row in Texas. Uh, been smoking meat for over seventy plus years. Um, so when you say you were a little apprehensive when you heard him put Cheyenne, uh, cayenne uh, on the meat. I could, I could see that, but then you have to trust someone who has been doing this for so long and has the reputation and, uh, of just being an awesome barbecue joint. Um, I, I me too. I'm, I was kind of with you not being a big fan of spicy, but then you learn how to bring out the flavor that spice has rather than the heat index. Right. Right. And, and just bring a whole nother flavor. So uh, that's cool, man. And tell me a little, little bit about your experience there at City Meat Market. So it was during COVID stuff. So stuff was not necessarily normal. Um, their big thing is that they pretty much sell out of everything that they cook by like 1230. Um, and sometimes it's even sold out before then. And so um, you get people, they, they have people that call up early in the morning. They'll call up at seven, eight, or even the day before and say, hey, I need a brisket tomorrow. I'll say, okay, we'll cook it. And then so he saves that many briskets for then, and then they come in and buy it or whatever. But 
um, a lot of people come in for lunch. And so they used to have a sit down area where you could sit down and eat. Now people have to kind of get it, take it to go. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, it, it was still, there was still a ton of people when I was in there. Uh, the first day I got there, uh, I want to say it was four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And when I got there, the pit was already started. Um, and so he was already just starting to lay stuff on the, on the pit and kind of the big thing about, uh, smoking brisket or any sort of meat is how fast you cook it and how slow you cook it. And so what was crazy to me was that he, he's been doing it for so long that, I mean, he had those things cooked uh, pretty much by like 10, 11 o'clock uh, in the morning and ready to serve. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a five, six hour smoke. That's pretty quick. Considering yeah. I've got briskets that I'm putting down and sometimes it can be anywhere from um, eight to like 12 hours, just depending on how big the brisket is. And Absolutely. so um, I kind of going into it and, and, and I know, I knew that they were like kind of one of the top 50 barbecue joints in Texas. Uh, but it's kind of one of those things where I just didn't know what to expect on a commercial grade setup, I guess. Um, just because I knew how long it takes me to cook my briskets. I know what I do. Um, I know what I've read to do, what I've talked with other people about doing. And, um, it was just, it was so different, but it makes sense on a business level that he was able to cook it that fast and have been doing it for, I think, um, he grew up working there. And so he didn't, the, the owner didn't actually own the place at the time. There was a guy that had been doing it for a while and he ended up buying it out from them and then kind of. Um, they don't have several different locations. They just have that one, uh, but kind of grew it from there to be what it is. And it's kind of just this staple barbecue place in Texas now to where you got to be in line. And then and this goes for a lot of places in Texas, especially if you ever make the top 50 ranking, um, you're pretty much going to run on barbecue every day by 11, 12, one o'clock. And so, um, that was something that was pretty uh, astounding to me. I mean, it, I knew it would happen. It's just like, how fast does this really happen? And so, and I mean, and he, he put like, I want to say it was like 10, 15 different briskets out and would end up selling. That's a, that's a lot of meat for oh, yeah. as small of a town it is. I'll put it that way. Um, it's technically a, a a real small town, you know, they've got a real small kind of downtown area. Um, if you didn't know you were in the town, like you would just keep driving and just never know anything was ever there. Um, and so it was pretty cool just to watch all that on a commercial level. Um, and then see everybody that came in, how he actually kind of knew most of them just from a standpoint, they, they're, their customers and he would tell me stories about some of them that he'd be like, yeah, that guy's not even, he's an hour and a half away. He just drives through here a couple times a week for work or whatever. And, you know, picks up lunch. And, um, and so and he said, weekends will get really crazy. Uh, and so I haven't got to experience the whole weekend crowd yet. Um, uh, but no, it, it was absolutely delicious. If you're ever around Giddings, Texas, um, uh, 
definitely check it out. And if you ever do come to Texas and you're like, oh, what should we eat? One, obviously, barbecue. But I would do a quick Google search, top 50 barbecue restaurants in Texas and wherever you're going. And there'll be a list of a couple of them, probably wherever you're staying at, that um, are pretty good. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong always just uh, Googling top barbecue spots. And typically, it's it's you're going to get your money's worth. It's pretty good. And uh, just just to compliment City Meat Market um, and, and hearing the story that you told, I, I think that's great. And uh, I mean, obviously, they're cooking good, great, uh, amazing food, uh, barbecue. But I think there's a lot to be said about the relationship they make with their customers um, and being a top 50 place in a small town but uh, allowing their brand to really shine and being that the brand is the food and the relationship they create with their customers. Uh, I think there's something said to be about that. Um, it's one thing to be able to cook good food, but it's another thing to, to, to spread love. And, and um, that's kind of one of the best icebreakers uh, to, to letting a person uh, bring their walls down is, is sure. putting good food in front of their mouth. Um, so, uh, big props to them. Did you find yourself, obviously you went there for work. Um, but did you, you find yourself as a student to the barbecue game and just taking notes? Oh, for sure. I mean, kind of there, the other thing was, so I'm not, I don't want to say I'm a temperature geek, but I got buddies that like, they're like taking notes, like what's happening at what temperature, uh, when it gets to this temperature, I did this. When it gets to this temperature, I did this. I mean, they're all into it. Um, I'm not that type of guy. And it was kind of weird because you would think in a commercial setting, you would have some sort of um, guy to kind of do that. But he's just done it for so long. Like the, he has no temperature gauge on his pit. Uh, he can just kind of look at it be like, yeah, that needs to, that needs to stay up, be moved here. It needs to be flipped over. And, um, he's just, it, it was, I couldn't necessarily be like a student student from a standpoint, but I was a student from aspect of, okay, if I keep, if I keep at this long enough, um, I can understand how to read these signs as well, because sure temperature is important, but being able to actually, uh, see, I guess what's going on is pretty important too. Um, and so. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I think kind of one of the big biggest things that I kind of took away from him um, was that that so they have a solution. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the solution or not, but basically it's a liquid solution that when they take uh, specifically their brisket out, not their other meats, but they'll dip their meat in this solution and let it cool down in there. Um, and I kind of thought that was genius. So if you're not familiar with cooking brisket, uh, kind of the big things is the cool down. Um, that's where all your juices are coming back into, you know, your, your temperature's getting up, you're melting all that fat and all the juices are just kind of running through the brisket. And so um, once you're done, you usually want to pull it out, put it in a, a cooler. Some people put it in the fridge. I usually put it kind of in a fridge. Um, and then some people, they just kind of wrap it up in foil and let it sit in like an oven, um, not really a heated oven, but just so that way it still kind of holds some sort of heat. Um, they would put it in this, uh, solution, I guess you'd call it. And it would actually trap all that moisture into the brisket. And I was like, man, that is genius. 
why have I never thought of that? And I've never read anything like that. And so, but that's just one of those things that it takes years of experience. Um, and even talking, cause when they have, when they go to do the 50 best, um, barbecue joints in Texas, all those guys, they get together and cook at the same weekend. They all talk about the stuff that they do to their briskets and talk about different techniques. And again, they kind of experiment and they say, okay, this is what I'm going to end up doing now. And so, um, that was cool just because I'm not really a tournament guy and I don't really get to have a ton of those conversations other than my buddies that are kind of the temperature geeks, um, where I'm not, I'm not the type of guy to sit there and just watch the temperature go up and down and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. And I, I think that goes to say for almost every job that I end up getting, um, and I guess we didn't really talk about much about that or talk about it yet, but for those of you that don't know, uh, I take a lot of pictures for a living. Um, technically, it falls under a marketing agency, but big portion of my business is pictures and video. So I was there taking pictures of all that stuff. And honestly, the worst part about all this is the fact that I have it all saved to my phone now, and I periodically come up upon it, and I'm like, man, I want some brisket now. So Yeah, that's the tough part, <laughs> especially... Maybe it's like nine o'clock and you're craving a brisket. That's 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 usually a recipe for disasters, especially if you're getting a little older and it's hard to digest that uh, that good old brisket. Oh brewing. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be I'll be sitting in bed and trying to plan out like an Instagram post for tomorrow or whatever, and just scrolling through like, oh, look at that brisket. It looks so yeah. good, just like so so nice and juicy, I guess. And so, uh, but they have other good barbecue other than brisket too. Don't get me wrong. I'm just a big brisket guy. Um, they've got like ribs, chicken, um, and I mean, they sell, they, they have uh, sausage and they sell out of all that, you know, every day. And so, um, I didn't get to try all that cause I was so full on brisket, but I'm definitely gonna take some trips back and try it out. So. Absolutely. And uh, as you should, um, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. There's definitely a push for, uh, technology and new methods uh, Wi-Fi this, and I'm a big temperature guy just because uh, I don't have the experience to uh, to see, touch, and and be confident in it. So I do rely on a temperature gauge, and and I do I have kind of an eye now. But um, but I think there's a lot to be said by that tried and true method of just fire and, and protein. So uh, right. big props to them. And uh, if I'm ever in Giddings, Texas, I'll definitely be stopping there. Um, let's switch to College Station. Uh, so I asked you what meal you'd be cooking if I uh, joined the Everett household for dinner. But which restaurant in College Station definitely is a go-to for uh, a visit or a drive-through? So it's kind of hard to say from a standpoint. We have so it's kind of either we have a lot of chains chain restaurants or we have a lot of um i guess mom and pop restaurants it kind of depends what you feel like we've got a ton of steak restaurants ton of hamburgers ton of pizza and i mean a lot of that comes with just the college kids being here in town. We got a give ton. me your favorite one if i say you can never come back to college station ever again where are you going man I really, honestly, I don't know that I can really answer that from a standpoint of I've never really thought that hard about it. Um, we've You're got on the grill, buddy. 
It, well, yeah. And the, so the hard thing too is I kind of want to say barbecue again because <laughs> we have some good, some good mom and pop barbecue stuff that, that's here too. Um, but usually, you know, there's a, there's some good Tex-Mex places here in town. Um, and so we've got, I can't think of the name of it, but it's in downtown Bryan. It's about 15 minutes away. Um, Casa Rod, that's what it is. And so, um, you know, we'll go in there. They got some good, good Mexican food, Tex-Mex food. Um, and you know, there, we have a Brazilian steakhouse here where I think there's another one that's in Houston. Um, that's are they serving cool. on the skewer type deal? Yeah. Where they- yeah. Yeah. Where they cut it off in front of you, all that stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, if I'm going to, if I, I want to go to kind of something that's kind of more of a sports bar, um, we have, uh, God, I can't think of the name of them. Drawing blanks all over tonight. Um, uh, we just got this new sports bar place in town. I went there like once before COVID closed down. That's the problem. But it was a, a Cajun style sports bar and they've got it. They, they're kind of a chain, I guess, small chain. They've got two or three from what I understand, but absolutely delicious Cajun style food. Um, and then we've got a couple like high end steakhouses here um, that are pretty good too. But again, the steak's a steak. You can kind of get it anywhere. So yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of all over the place, but it's kind of one of those things where me and my wife have a hard time sometimes of where do we want to go eat? Cause it's either kind of expensive um or like kind of expensive like dine in steakhouse type of deal or it's a fast food restaurant and so um like i said you got the small mama pop stuff but a lot of them are kind of the, they're kind of the same foods as well it's nothing that's like really sticks out there we'll say there's i'm a big pizza guy um i've never had like a real like new york pizza or anything like that but We've got two pizza places here in town called Passiano's. We actually had that tonight. Um, probably like the some of the biggest pizzas you can buy in town. I mean, they're what toppings are you getting on your pizza? Well, I'm I'm kind of a plain like meat lovers guy. You're, you'll start to see a theme here. I'm a big a plain guy. meat lover. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like usually it's a three meat or like you know pepperoni stuff like that. Um, tonight. We got the Passianos. I mean, these pizzas, they're 12 bucks a piece. But these pizzas, I, I want to say, are like 20-inch pizzas. Like, they're huge. Like, pizza boxes can't even fit inside my trash can without them being broken down. Um, and we got, like, a just your regular pepperoni and cheese and then an Alfredo and chicken-style pizza. Absolutely delicious. But there's another p- pizza place here in town called Howdy's. Um, and so, and, and just to cue everybody in, if you're not from college station, or didn't go to Texas A&M, um, the big thing is everybody says howdy. Um, and so that's kind of why they called the place howdy's, but they have pizza and they actually put smoked barbecue on their pizza. And so that's kind of why I like that place. Cause I've never had pizza that had smoked barbecue on it. You just kind of get a little bit different flavors with, um, you know, with the sauce and the cheeses and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so there's a lot of cool places here. It's just, it's always like, Hey, what do you feel like eating? You know? Yeah, sure. Uh, how about you yourself? Uh, what are you grilling on? Um, so I have a smoking Joe's, I don't know what model it is, but it's based, it's got a smoker and it's got a grill. 
and then it's got like a little side burner. Uh, oh, nice. What, uh, what's something? Uh, what's something you're looking for to cook, or you got on your radar to cook as far as just any type of meat? Is there something that you're kind of wanting to experiment with? So I've got some red snapper, um, and so I'm a I'm a big fishing and hunting guy, um, and so red snapper is a delicacy and it's from a standpoint of you can only catch it certain times a year and every time you go out you can only catch two fish the other side of that is red snappers caught offshore um so usually you're going a couple hours offshore in a boat ride in a bigger boat um to try and catch these fish and then you're dropping them straight to the bottom and pulling them up and they're 30 pound fish and so they're a lot of fun to catch, but just came back a couple of weeks ago from catching some. Um, I should use the term catching loosely. I got super seasick, um, but it just, it's going to make it all the while when I cook it. I've already cooked it once, baked it. It was okay. Um, and kind of looking, going to look to see what other recipes I can cook up with this red snapper that might give me a different taste. Um, some people like it on the half shell. Um, if you're not familiar with what that means, that's where you got the scales and stuff on the back and then you just put it on the grill and then you just kind of eat the fish out from the scales, I guess. Um, and then this time when I brought it all back, I just brought it as regular fillets. Uh, but I will, I refuse to fry them just because it's that kind of level of fish. It's kind of a sin to do that. So um, I'm just going to start kind of experimenting with it and kind of see what I can come up with. My wife loved it from a standpoint. It, it didn't have that much of a fishy taste um, compared to like if you have like a catfish, um, you're going to get like that real strong just fish taste. And so um, I think that's probably something I'm actually going to grill up this week uh, just to kind of, again, experiment with. and see how it turns out yeah absolutely um and i do think there's a convenience to a fillet of a fish and oh, yeah. uh, like a half shell um i think it's just a whole nother level but i do think a whole fish cook is a little more technical but well worth it there's so much more uh, i mean digging through the bones and and maybe getting little pieces of scale there there's something about i think uh the fish holds uh, it's, it's flavor a little better. Uh, it's easier to control as far as temperature, um, internally. But, uh, I mean, I'm a big fillet guy just cause it's a little more convenient. Right. Uh, and, and I, I kind of take it by depending on the type of fish, um, like obviously catfish, you're going to fillet, um, crappie is really good, uh, in terms of actually filleting it no one really cooks that on the half shell but you that's the type of fish that you would grill and not fry um and then like redfish i don't know if you've ever had redfish um but that's a that's a good half shell fish it's still got a little bit of fishy taste but at the same time i think it just um it just tastes better than your typical freshwater fish uh and that may be because it's not really trapped into eating plants it it kind of eats other other fish like mullet and stuff like that. And so, um, kind of the same thing with, with the snapper. Uh, but like trout, trout's one of those ones that I would, that I don't necessarily cook it whole from a standpoint, like I chop the head off and just kind of, you know, the pull the guts out and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, but you still have the fins on, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you can either fry that. I like using uh, trout, both freshwater trout and saltwater trout for fish tacos. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things to cook as far as fish goes, just because it's not your typical fish and chips basket that you could just get from a restaurant. Uh, and the, it's kind of weird. The, the fish tacos that you could get at the restaurants here are typically not, they're kind of like a, uh, tilapia style fish, which there's nothing wrong with the tilapia style fish. That's how we used to eat in college. Um, but, uh, it's just the sea, the trout in general, is just kind of a much better fish to cook and eat whole. And the bones are usually so small that if you do end up getting one you can honestly kind of eat it and still kind of um not have any issues with it later on and so um yeah that's kind of that's kind of one of my my favorite things to do as well yeah absolutely um there's definitely a level of appreciation if you go to Jarrett's uh page uh we'll, we'll get into your your content side a little bit later but you do show um a great side to fishing um uh, in your photography but uh obviously there's a passion for you in fishing yeah i uh, appreciate that and um it, it's it's kind of how i got in the outdoor world um i didn't grow up in a family that was really hunters um fishers kind of loosely like it was just something that they would just do every now and then um i guess i got i got pretty lucky and grew up next to a couple ponds and my grandparents had the, like they lived on this pond in the next city over uh and so that was kind of like my first love I'd, I'd started fishing when i was three and just kind of never set the rod down and that's kind of that's what got me into the outdoor industry space as a whole um was just fishing and it's just one of those things i've always loved it um and i couldn't necessarily tell you why there's just something about feeling that thump on the other end of the line and trying not really knowing what it is and reeling it in and um and then eating it too i mean that's kind of that's kind of the big thing for me is i i like i like eating what i can catch and what i can shoot um there's just some other um i guess satisfaction that you feel from it uh, where are you uh freshwater fishing at locally in in college station and then where are you uh saltwater fishing at? so uh if i'm f so it's kind of it, kind of a toss-up so we have a lake here called lake brian um and then we have a lake here called gibbons creek and my in-laws live right next to a lake called lake fork and lake fork is like one of the biggest uh nationwide bass fishing attractions um just they they pull like record bass out of there all the time and so um i've gotten to fish there a handful of times never really pulled anything huge out um down here in college station gibbons creek was supposed to be the next lake fork so they've got a lot of big fish in there too um but as far as bass goes, they got a lot of big catfish and other stuff. Uh, but when it comes to like fishing freshwater, I'm kind of mainly fishing for bass unless um, there's a white bass run. We have another lake that's uh, about 45 minutes away 
Um, and they have two, essentially, I guess, two different styles of white bass fishing. Uh, one is what they call the white bass run. It's where these white bass, they go up these creeks. And the thing with the white bass is you can keep, um, is it 15 of them? Yeah, I think it's 15 of them, if not more. I usually only keep just enough to eat just because it's just me and my wife, so I don't try and keep just a ton. But it's one of those things they, they pack up in those creeks and rivers so thick that you can cast, and if you've got a rattle trap that's got two hooks on it um, or two treble hooks on it, there's a good chance you're going to catch two, maybe three, three of them. And so, um, and they're not super huge, but it's just a lot of, it's, it's not really fishing. It's just catching at that point. Um, and so I like to go there, especially during that time in the summer when it's hot. Um, I like to try and stay more saltwater fishing cause it's, it, you're more fishing in the water. Um, whereas if I can't get down to the coast, I'll fish on Lake Somerville and basically you can go find these humps out in the middle of the lake and do what we call troll for them. And you'll put out baits out the side of your boat and just kind of put around in a circle around humps out in the middle of the lake. And it's kind of one of the same things where you might get a hit on one lure that might have two or three of them on. You stop and then you start throwing um, what we call spoons and slabs and you just drop them straight down and jig for them and you'll, you'll catch them. And so that's a lot of fun. But my new kind of, uh, I guess chase that i'm really trying to figure out is this lake brian that we have here um it's it used to be really more of a it's a power plant lake so it stays warm year round uh what texas a&m has figured out is how to take saltwater redfish and slowly change the salinity of the water out to fresh water and they live in the fresh water um and so redfish is a great fish to to eat um if i didn't have to drive down the coast all the time to catch them i wouldn't so i've kind of been trying to figure out how to catch them out at lake brian with no success so far um i've heard stories of people catching them it's just i don't i just hadn't figured it out yet so um but the cool thing about those redfish too is and i've done a lot of studying and reading i even bought a fish finder that's got like 3d that like shows me like you know, different types of schools of fish and all this sort of stuff. Still haven't been able to figure it out. But these fish, when they live in the ocean, um, or I guess technically, um, you know, inshore, they, they'll grow up to be about 20 inches long. And then eventually they start growing to where they can get 30 to 40 inches long. And a lot of times they'll kind of go, they'll go eat offshore and then come back during spawning season and kind of get up in the shallows and then spawn. Well, uh, these fish, they don't have the ability to go offshore. So the fish that they're putting in there, that they're stocking in there, they just grow and get big. They'll get 36 inches. And so it's, and they are a mean fighting fish. Um, I always tell people that have never fished in salt water or ever caught redfish. Uh, it's like bass fishing times 10. Uh, they'll come up to the boat and they'll take off four or five times before they actually get tired and then you can pull them in and they're a phenomenal eating fish. And so I've kind of been trying to figure that out. Um, I haven't been able to do as much this year. I've had 
so I've got two boats, which is a that's a problem in itself. Uh, but uh, boat number one kind of kind of broke down, but it kind of didn't really do what I needed it to do. So I'm in the process of just kind of fixing it up to get rid of it. And I'm, but I'm also in the process of building another boat for myself to kind of do a little bit of everything to where I can go try and find these redfish, but then I can also go down to the coast and fish down there. And so as far as me going down to the coast, I go all over on the Texas coast. Um, we, uh, I go, so Galveston is the closest to College Station. It's about two hours, but it's also the ugliest water. Like it's chocolate milk brown. Oh, uh, it's just not really and like the beach, like the beach sand is, is hard. Um, from a, it's just, I don't know if it's that it's so fine that when that water gets in there, it almost kind of makes it like you're walking on cement. Um, but it's just, to me, it's not, it, it's a great place to go fish and it's only an hour from Houston. So you got a lot of people that, you know, they'll commute and they'll have like a, a bay house out there. And they'll go out and stay in the bay for the weekend, you know, and then be back in within 45 minutes to an hour. Um, for me, I'm like, if I'm going to spend some time driving, I'd rather go down to a place called Port O'Connor. Um, it's kind of a podunk fishing town, if you will. Uh, there's two places to eat there, but everybody else that's down there fishes. And so... Um, and it's got really clear water. The beach isn't super pretty. Um, and that, but that's kind of more like I'm going by myself or with some buddies. I would never take my wife there. My wife was going, we'd go down to a place called Matagorda, um, or, uh, Rockport. Those have really pretty water, like gin clear, can see straight down for several feet. Uh, they got plenty of stuff to do, plenty of restaurants, enough to like kind of keep her busy. Um, but then if I'm really wanting to go catch some big fish, uh, mainly big trout, uh, trophy style trout, or um, just want to be in like really clear water where I can see almost six feet down, gin clear, I'll go down to a place called Port Mansfield, um, which is down by South Padre, which is, I mean, an hour or two from Mexico, not that far from Mexico. Uh, but that's kind of where a lot of those big trout hang out. And um, it's just a different style of fishing. And it, again, that's kind of more of like a, a podunk fishing town too, uh, just as far as like, if you're there, you're just there to fish and that's all you're there to do. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that I don't have a complaint with that. Um, I know my wife's not too wild about doing stuff like that, but, um, it's, if you want to catch a trophy trout, that's kind of one of the best places to go in Texas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't go wrong, especially from the images that you shoot. It just looks top notch. Uh, you, you were talking about the red snapper earlier. I think you got a buddy, uh, a few pictures down, he's holding this beautiful red snapper, just got a big grin on his face yeah it's awesome and definitely when when i think texas fishing i'm definitely thinking uh not only is the fishing good but the vibe is good uh good friends good booze probably going on um some good music some good texas music oh yeah uh, sure. how far off am i on that that statement no i mean that's you're, you're pretty spot on everybody everybody's got you know boats and they've all got it, it's kind of weird because so like if I was to think of like California in my mind, 
And I kind of got that Lake Tahoe mental picture. They've got kind of like those house style boats or they've got like a super badass um, like wakeboarding boat um, or even like those boats that they've got like three or four different car engines in them and they're just speed boats, just cigarette boats going crazy. Uh, no, you're, you're pretty spot on with that down here. Everybody's kind of got uh, fishing boats, especially down here where I'm at in College Station. Um, a lot of people kind of have more of the wakeboard style boat or it's a saltwater fishing style boat, but it's rigged out with crazy speaker systems. Everyone's listening to Texas country. That's a real big, huge thing here. Um, that it's kind of, it's kind of weird cause we call it Texas country. Other people call it red dirt, but the reality is everybody that sings the red dirt stuff is all from Texas. So, um, but that's just kind of our, our pride showing, I guess. But yeah, everybody's down there just jamming out, fishing, um, drinking, you know, Shiner Bach, um, just hanging out. And that was my next question. So Shiner Bach would be the, the beer of choice. Um, so it kind of, it, again, it kind of depends who you're talking to. Shiner Bach is like the Texas, I'm going to say dark beer loosely. And Lone uh, Star would be your lighter beer, right? Or, I'm sorry. Say it again. Lone Star would be the lighter, lighter beer. Yeah, that'd be that'd be like the lighter beer. Um, and but honestly, I can only count on a couple of fingers of people that I know that they strictly drink Lone Star. Um, but there's a lot. There's a ton of like uh, small breweries around here that got all sorts of different stuff. I'm kind of this weird. I like. Shiner is about as dark as I get. Um, it's great. They used to have this one beer, uh, prickly pear beer, and it was my absolute favorite beer. And then they stopped. They still make it, but they put it in a variety pack. And I just want a full pack of uh, prickly pear beer. But anyways, that's that's a, a fight that I have yet to have with them. But um yes everybody like if you were to come down to a dance hall or something you're gonna see shiner bought everywhere that's just kind of the deal and and you'll see um you know there's the like i said there's a couple other smaller ones but um yeah i i'd say for the most part you'd have shiner on everybody's boat right on hey i mean like i said it, it for me it goes synonymous like I said if, if, if i could paint a picture base of your story and images that you share with us on your Instagram. Um, I, I just feel good vibes, good fishing, uh, good times. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Duck hunting. You show a beautiful uh, array of pictures. I know it's a big passion of yours. Uh, tell me a little bit about duck hunting in Texas. So long story short, duck hunting in Texas sucks. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I say that we have some good areas. Um, uh, like I said, I grew up, I didn't grow up hunting. I got into college. Um, I didn't have a place to go hunt. Uh, but the, the big thing is that, so Texas has public lands. It doesn't have very many public lands cause like 98.5% of Texas is all private land. Um, and so but so you you're you're kind of limited on the deer that you can shoot. They may not necessarily be, um, you know, record breaking deer by any means. And 
I have really bad ADD and just sitting in a stand all day. I, to this day, the only deer I've shot is a doe, and it was more or less a management doe that was just old and just needed to, you know, be taken out. And um, so I really have never been that big of, of a deer hunter. Texas is known for its great deer, but you got to have the property or be able to pay to play. And I hadn't either. So um, I got in with some buddies that they just loved to duck hunt. And uh, we uh, kind of pulled some cash together and a but or I guess a buddy borrowed like his brother's cousin's uncle's but I don't know some some estranged family member's boat burnt up that motor then I bought a motor to put on it and like we would take turns like using it and going out places and uh here in college station there's a few places that can be okay um but it just it's kind of the stars have to align there has to be a right kind of cold front rivers have to be up you know all all sorts of stuff has to kind of happen now if you go to houston um in the katy area that used to be some of the world's best duck hunting um there on the rice prairie you know they make you know they grow rice like crazy and every year huge migrations uh katy has now became a huge become a huge suburb of Houston and they've lost a lot of that migration. Um which for as close as it is for an hour, you can still get out there and get on some good hunts. Uh and then I do hunt up towards Lubbock. I got a buddy that he owns a lodge up there. I come up there and take pictures and video with them every about every season and um it's uh that's kind of hunting on a different scale of field hunting that i i just found to be unbelievable um you've got kind of down here where we're at in college station we don't see very many geese um towards the katy area you're gonna see more um speckle belly geese and uh snow geese but up there towards lubbock you'll get a little bit of everything um and so but they had they just have so much food to draw in ducks and geese up there that there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of them and so um I love going to hunt up there I love going to hunt up in Oklahoma um and it's kind of different I like I thought that was off limits Texas Texans can't go to Oklahoma and and uh, Oklahomans can't go to Texas well I, I think it's really just Oklahomans or Oklahoma people from Oklahoma I don't know what you call them can't come here they got to stay over there <laughs> um, but uh no I mean there there is kind of always some sort of rivalry if you will but uh and they don't really like us Texas boys coming up there Arkansas doesn't either but I don't like going to Arkansas because the boys up in Arkansas are way worse than the boys in Oklahoma uh, they'll slash tires uh you know they'll steal stuff I mean it's it's a it's a crapshoot going up there, especially if you're going to hunt public land up there in Arkansas. So I like going up to Oklahoma. I've been to Kansas a few times, didn't do that great, but I know that they have really good duck hunting up there. But um, I think it's one of those things that I just fell in love with because there's so much public land in the U.S. and these these birds migrate. So um, just because one portion of public land may not be successful this year doesn't mean it won't be next year. Um, and so, um, and it's really interesting to see how the migrations change and have changed over the last several years. 
just with cities popping up and you know less farming farming becoming less profitable um and really it's the new thing now i guess in the duck hunting world is to buy property and groom it strictly for duck hunting whether you're growing corn and that's kind of the, there's in the duck hunting world um there's there's kind of two types of people people that will hunt in flooded corn and people that will um say hunting and flooding corn is cheating so um that's kind of people kind of more north of Oklahoma tend to hunt in the flooded corn stuff people south of Oklahoma uh were usually hunting in trees um or rice fields and so um or I guess like if you go up to Lubbock they've got corn and stuff up there too but um yeah so it, it's kind of it's a very uh widespread um hobby I guess just depending on where I want to go and where I want to hunt and who has what kind of birds. And so um, you go to certain places at different times of season. Uh, and I kind of, what I kind of tell a lot of people too, is I feel like it's a lot like fishing um, from a standpoint of you got to fish in a spot where the fish are going to be at. That's thing number one. Uh, thing number two, uh, you got to have something that's going to swim like a fish look like a fish um and that's going to attract the fish um with duck hunting you got to be in a spot where there's going to be ducks um sure sometimes you can just show up to a piece of water you might have a couple ducks coming in but if you can find an area where there's a thousand ducks coming in your chances are a lot higher so you gotta be in an area where there's ducks at you got to be able to have duck decoys you got to be able to sound like a real duck um and it's kind of like the minute that fish bites your lure you know, you know, you've got them. And to me, uh, what I love about duck hunting, probably more than anything is when I'm on a duck call, um, and you're literally talking to those ducks and they're flying away. And then you hit them with a certain kind of duck call and they just bank back around. They, they start coming in hot and they're going to come down in the water. And, um, then someone, you know, calls the shot and everybody starts shooting and then uh, you send a dog out, they come back, bring the duck back. And then you've got, uh, it's, it's kind of one of those things where if you're deer hunting and you shoot, there's a lot of times you don't have a second chance that same morning. It's one of those things when duck hunting, if you got one group that comes in, you shoot, you miss, you're probably going to have a couple more groups come back in. And so I think that's why I've never really jumped the deer hunting or, you know, big game hunting or onto those ships. Um, just because to me, duck hunting, there's, you've got so many chances and it's, it's a big social sport too. It's a big thing to sit in the blind with the guys. Um, and also loving to take photographs and video. Um, that's a good time to be doing that just cause you can capture a lot of emotions. Um, people being serious, people, you know, cracking up, um, people making fun of each other, people in the moment, like when those they're so focused, you know, they might be hugging a tree and then on their duck call, you know, getting that duck to come in. And then all of a sudden they're, they're kicking, making the splashing noise, like ducks are swimming around and those ducks are working in and even dogs, even just watching the dogs, um, watch the ducks work. Um, to me, there's just, there's so much that's going on and so cool to experience. And so if you've never gone duck hunting, I would recommend it to anybody. It's an expensive sport to jump into, 
Um, but I think at this point, there's not really any cheap ones left. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, if you get on my Instagram, you'll, that's probably the majority of what you'll see is duck hunting stuff. Um, it's just one of those things that I think I'll, I'll probably be 85 years old out there trying to duck hunt. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a timeless, uh, pastime and it, it's, uh, man, like you said, there's just, uh, uh, a companionship with, with the guys you're hunting with. And, and there's such a joy. Uh, what are you hunting with? What, what kind of gun? So, um, obviously shotgun. Um, and so I've got, I've, I've got more shotguns than rifles. Uh, but my, I got sent a Rate shotgun last year. Um, they are, so, um, in the list of, of duck hunting shotgun world, you kind of have like Benelli, which everyone views as the top. It's also one of the most most expensive um and then uh benelli also manufactures a company called franke um, which is kind of like a step below them it's a little bit cheaper but honestly i think it's almost the exact same gun um and then uh you have um i'm trying to think what the the lower tier one is i can't think of it off the top of my head um but retay price point wise is right there with the Franke to me it, it functionality it's up there with the Benelli um and I absolutely love it to 12 gauge um if it's not teal season I'm shooting three and a half out that sucker um so I can reach out as far as I need to usually um and it's just kind of my my go-to gun right now it's got a really good action where you can press a button and it you, you pull out your your trigger droop trigger group and all that and um makes it real easy to clean especially in my line of work i'm always on the go and so uh being able to have something that i don't need a hammer uh to kind of bang out some pins and break it down it just makes it super easy to clean and so i've kind of stuck with that i've got an over and under that i like hunting too um it's called it's it's a made by a company called yield is they're also they're turkish manufacturer um it's not it's nothing crazy expensive again it's kind of a duck hunting gun i think i paid like 250 bucks for it but if i'm in the timber uh hunting timber i really like using that gun just because uh timber hunting and field hunting are on two different spectrums just as far as like field hunting usually your ducks they're coming in a, a large group of a couple hundred um and so having that shot to kind of, you know, if you miss one or whatever, you know, you still have an extra shot to try and get them in the timber. They kind of, they'll come in groups of like 20, 30, uh, but they pretty much like hover right in front of you. And so, um, having an over under and only having two shots, uh, I feel like that's kind of usually all I need, um, in that scenario. And it's just, it's fun. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's, typically what I use, I'd like to get my hands on a 20 gauge this year just to see if I like shooting the 20. Um, the 12 doesn't really hurt me in any way. So I feel like it's still usable, but usually as guys get older, they kind of downgrade to the 20 gauge. Um, and so I don't know, we'll see how it plays out. Just if I come across a good deal on one, maybe, but, um, I start looking at my, uh, gun case and I'm just like, man, I've got a lot of shotguns 
Did I you guys really... are hiding and hiding them from the wife so she doesn't think you have an addiction. Right, right. Like so, I've I've got them spread out across the house in a couple different <laughs> areas, and just kind of swap them out. But it's still, it's like, man, I kind of I definitely skew shotgun versus rifle. But again, I'm not really a deer hunter, so I don't have a huge use for it. But um, one thing that I really want to get into is upland hunting. Um, I've got a German short hair pointer. Uh, hard thing, cod station. There's not really much um, real upland hunting. You can have caged birds, and um, if you got fields, you can go let them out and, and hunt them, um, which can still be fun. But it's not it's not a true upland hunt. And so um, that's if I can find a good twenty on sale, you know, I think that's something I want to try and get into more is the the upland stuff just because I think those twelve gauges are they're just a little too much for um quail and stuff like pheasant probably be all right but quail um it's just one of those things that i i'd love to start hunting yeah absolutely um uh, some great information right there uh man it's just a different life uh style when 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 i kind of hear this 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 outdoor stuff and then uh, having all this uh accessibility to to land and uh great barbecue spots so it's it's right. awesome yeah. to hear this side uh, which we all know Texas is great for just kind of living off the land and and utilizing its resources, which is uh, a large amount of public land and uh, just having a gosh damn good time. So, all right, man, let's get into uh, your bread and butter. You're out. You are an outdoor content creator, uh, digital marketing uh, guru, if you will. Uh, the, the pictures and the videos that you capture, I'm sure your Instagram only has half of what you actually do. Oh, um, completely. Yeah. I, and I'm not really picky. You know, I know some guys that they're picky about what they post. I'm not really picky about what I post. Um, it's just one of those things that's just, uh, I just, I'm like, Oh, I'll post a fishing photo today. And it's kind of one of those things, but I, my phone's got thousands upon thousands of different fishing photos or duck hunting stuff. And so, um, yeah, I spend a lot of time out in the outdoors, which is not a bad problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when, uh, your backyard is, is full of, uh, you know, like you said, within an hour you're, you're in the water or right, right. Uh, in, in a good spot. Um, what, what got you into this, uh, outdoor, uh, content creator or this digital marketing? What, what, what gave you the bug? What, what happened there? Um, so it's a long story, so I'll try and cut it short uh, just for the listener's sake. But um, as a kid, you know, I kind of talked about how I love to fish. Um, I always thought I want to be like a professional bass fisherman or um, design lures um, and, you know, kind of like just work in the fishing industry is what I thought. Well, um, everybody would always tell me, like, there's no money in that. Like, how can you live off of doing that? And part of that's one, because they don't understand that industry, but two, they were probably right to a degree um, at the time anyways. And so um, I kind of, I kind of got kind of in high school and I kind of had interest in other things. Um, I had a lot of interest in uh, web development. Um, I actually, we basically, that was kind of back like right after the whole MySpace craze. So you kind of learned a little bit HTML and kind of went crazy with it. Um, and so for whatever reason, I could just pick up on a lot of that. And so 
I got into a class learning that because you had to take like a tech elective. Well, then that led to me learning how to do graphic design just so I could make my websites look cooler than everybody else. And so um, that kind of tumbleweeded into basically they would pick like the top 10 people out of all those classes. And now that I look back at it, it was really like slave labor, but they take all the top 10 people out of those classes, put them in an advanced web learning class, and then you would take care of the school website. And so at the time, I thought that was pretty cool. And so um, I also played piano, played guitar, loved music. Um, And so I just always kind of had like somewhat of this creative side. I've never been like the the artsy fartsy, you know, guy that everybody kind of like when you start telling them, oh, yeah, I'm like a musician and a photographer, they kind of get somewhat of this hippie picture in their head, I guess. I've never been that type of guy. But um, then I I kind of thought, I was like, man, it'd be really cool to make like music videos and stuff just because I had a passion for, um, you know, kind of some sort of design and then the music. And so they, that of the whole web design thing, the person that ran that class started running a, um, basically a news reporting cast your class and basically you would kind of take assume all these different roles and you would change uh i don't know if stations is the right word but you would change every week positions i guess that's a better way to put it so one week you might be an editor one week you might be an anchor um and you know one week you might be writing the scripts one week you might be working the lighting you kind of learned all these different elements that came into being a news anchor. I loved pretty much everything about that class. Um, I was kind of a goof um, as far as like an anchor goes, but I, I, I loved it. I ate it up and kind of what in they, they basically would try and I don't want to say push, but they'd say, Hey, look, there's actually um, something called uh, radio, television and film at university of North Texas. And so, um, that's like, you can go down that degree path and you, and I was like, well, I love music and I love radio. So check. Yes. Um, television and film, like I'm pretty much on board with that just cause I'm having a good time now. Well, uh, my senior year, um, uh, I thought that's what I was going to go do. And then I had a friend that actually graduated from that degree path and, like couldn't find a job and then ended up finding a job. He was only making like 35 a year and um, basically just kind of had some pressure. They're like, Hey, you got to make more money than that, which they were completely right. And so uh, I went to community college for a year and kind of took basics, but that I thought that I could transfer over to do that. And then I just got the urge to come down to college station. And so I did uh, kind of, dropped all the music dropped all the video stuff um like it dropped kind of all the graphic design stuff uh came down to college station we have a another i guess like junior college where you can transfer into to a&m went there for a year um and i had to work full-time and so i ended up getting a job uh building custom homes here in town and that's where my creative outlet I guess kind of got released 
um, just as far as like, you know, interior finishes and just like working with people and trying to bring it all together to create something cool. Um, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Did that for five years and then uh, basically realized that um, the money wasn't going to be there as far as in order for me to start my own home building company since the crash, I had to have a bunch of money set up in the bank just in case I underbid projects. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. I want to own my own business. What do I do? Like literally. And at this time I was getting into duck hunting pretty big. I bought a camera cause I had the idea. And I think a lot of people in the outdoor space have this idea at first. Oh, I want to make kind of like a outdoor television show type of thing. Well, my problem was the duck hunting here where I'm at is so sorry that I would would have much rather had the gun in my hand rather than the camera. And so um, after kind of a full year just trying to figure out myself what I need to do, I kind of um, also always had this little marketing background of like social media was still new, whether it was Instagram, Twitter. Um, I'd figure out how to get a lot of followers on Twitter. I had to figure out how to get a lot of followers on Instagram. I say a lot. It was probably like four or five thousand back then, um, but it was just like I was understanding algorithms and with my web background, um, I was really able to dissect a lot of that stuff and understand how it works. And so um, I would also had like a small like little side hustle where I made duck calls. Um, I have I have a problem rolling my tongue, and it, and there's a certain duck call that we call a feed chuckle that. Um, you have to kind of like roll your tongue in order to get it sound like that it's it's a duck eating on corn or eating on acorns. Well, I couldn't do that. And so um, I was like, I want to figure out if there's a way that I can make these duck calls work better for me. And so I started making duck calls, started selling them on Facebook. I promise all this is coming full circle. So just hang tight. But um started making those duck calls and post them on Facebook. I'd sell some. It was it was okay for like a, a, a hobby. But I was like, the reality is I'm going to spend two hours on this one duck call I'm going to sell for 40 bucks. And 20 bucks an hour, that's not bad. But I was like, there's got to be a way to make more money at it. And so I would dabble in Facebook ads, sell a few calls here, sell a few, or sell a few more calls here, sell a few more there. Um, and it just kind of all started like making sense. And then literally like, I just like woke up in the middle of the night one night and it was like, Oh my gosh, like there's outdoor industry brands out there that need a marketing guy or like that. They don't have the ability to pay a full figure salary to someone. Uh, and you know, and for the most part, most of those people don't know what they're doing. And so, um, uh, kind of thought about it for a few days. And the more I thought about it, more of the idea kind of grew in my head. Like, Oh, I've already got this following. I was already taking semi-cool pictures, whether it was with my iPhone or my like very entry-level camera. Um, and I would get a lot of lights and stuff on it. I was understanding algorithms. I was understanding how to use those algorithms to get more lights. Um, and so I was like, man, I was like, surely someone's got to be able to pay for all this. And so um, I kind of just, I, I talked it over with my wife and she was like, you know, you're passionate about all those things. And she was like, I'm tired of you being gone all the time. And the reality was that I, I would work for someone anywhere from 60 to 80 hours a week and I would make them a lot of money. And so 
was like, if I'm going to work that hard, I want to work for myself. And so, uh, kind of just one day, just like, basically I, I remember I wanted to quit one day and my boss had been out of town for like a month. I kind of ran the company for him and it was a conversation I wanted to have in person and not just over phone. And I was like, Hey, you in town? He's like, no, I'll be in town like next week or something. I was like, Oh man, that kind of sucks. I really wanted to put my two weeks in a day. So I remember there was a fishing show in Houston that weekend. And I went, I, I just printed off like business cards. Like I just went to Walmart, bought kind of like that, that card stock and made up business cards and then just cut it out. Um, I didn't even have a website on them. All I had was my, like my personal email, my phone number and just went up there, met people, started handing out, kind of got out of my comfort zone a little bit. I was never really the the sales phone call style guy and um, started meeting people, talking to people. And some people would say, yes, I need this. Some people say, yes, you know, like, you know, I need product photography. And some people like Facebook ads, like I don't even have a Facebook, like tell me more about this Facebook and how it can make me money and uh, just stuff like that. And then really it, it took me about three months from the day that I quit my job until I got like my first paycheck and um, man, that was a grind. Luckily we had money saved up to where we could just kind of like live off of that money. But it was still one of those things. Okay. Is this really meant to be, or is it not? And so um, started and finally got one client. Then it kind of like started steamrolling from there, two clients. And um, there was a lot of business aspects that I had to learn. Uh, I'd always kind of had a pat passion for making and selling things too. And so that all, it, it's kind of like all those individual passions that I had just all clicked over into one thing and became like this perfect blend. And I would have never, if you'd asked me five, 10 years ago, what I'd be doing today, I would have never told you any of this. Um, but it was just, it just ended up working out and I've got people that, you know, call me all across the world to either come, you know, sometimes it's come film a TV show for me, or sometimes it's, Hey, I want these pictures. Um, I say all across the world, United States, not worldwide yet, but hopefully <laughs> one day we'll get there. But, uh, and so it's just, it's, it's been an absolute blast. Like it literally takes every element of what I love and puts it all together. And so, um, I'll, I'll probably never get rich from doing this job alone. Uh, just want to throw that out there in case anybody's ever thinking about jumping into it. Like you'll never be rich. You might make uh, a decent living off of it. But um, I think my next big move, I guess, and I haven't really told too many people this. So everyone that's listening, uh, just know that uh, to keep it on the DL a little bit. But uh, looking at basically launching my own brands um, and then kind of using the marketing agency that I have to funnel it to funnel those brands out there and sell stuff. Um, and so I'm pretty excited. We've got like a bunch of fly, fly fishing stuff coming out, um, working on sunglass stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other cool lines that I'm working to kind of be my own, but at the same time, um, create something that's great for people to buy too. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's not your typical eight to five, definitely, but um, it's a blast. 
Yeah, absolutely. And especially with social media, uh, to have that ability and to recognize the ability like you did, that there is a market to uh, take video or photos for uh, people that don't have that creative side. Um, it's, it's a gift and there's an eye. I think you being able to relate to some of the photos that you, you take and that you specialize in, which would be uh, fishing, hunting, uh, even the barbecue, like you take, you naturally take interest in those, those, uh, those fields. So, you know, what people want to see, you have an idea of what the lifestyle is like. So, right. I mean, it goes hand in hand and it shows in your content. It's amazing. It, it, it really puts that. you in a place that, that you, you want to be, uh, like I think three posts ago, ago, I want a ranch water. I want to pull a ranch water out of the ice chest, you know, or I want to go, uh, I want to go catch a red snipper snapper in Texas, or I, I want to be behind a duck blind. Right. Um, these are all things that, that, that your photos and your, your marketing, uh, present. So, uh, right. no, and I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, that's the, at the end of the day, that's the goal. And, uh, for a lot of these business, the big thing is the products have to sell and that's how, you know, I stay having a job. And so, um, uh, it's it's pretty cool, but it's one of those things to where I look back to, you know, ten year old me that wanted to do, uh, you know, fishing lures or you know, be a bass fishing pro or whatever, um, and you would have never known, you would have never been able to predict predict that a job like this even exists, um, and so, um, it's pretty cool, and not even just on on my certain scenario, but just in the outdoor industry as a whole, or even in the food industry side of things, um, like food bloggers and all that sort of stuff, how it's crazy how five, 10 years ago, none of those existed. And now because of social media, a lot of people are making a living doing what they love. And so, um, you know, I definitely, I definitely have to give out to, uh, Mark Zuckerberg for sure. Um, and the guys that like created Instagram and Twitter and all that from the standpoint of I wouldn't be here today without them creating what they did. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to look back on and be like, wow. Like at the time I would have never known that all these passions I had would all end up one day just working out together. And so, um, yeah, absolutely love it. Wouldn't have any other way. Um, it's a pretty cool way to see the world as well. And so, um, not only do I get paid to go places or I guess not only do I get to go to places, um, all over the place and get to see cool things, I get paid to be there too. So, um, yeah, absolutely love it. Wouldn't trade it for anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are you shooting with? Uh, if, if you want to say, if not, I understand. Yeah, no, no, no. So I right now I'm shooting with the Nikon Z6. Um, I'm actually looking at upgrading. So if anybody wants, you know, to buy it, uh, let me know. Give me a shout out. Um, basically, and it's it's. I get a lot of people ask me all the time. You know, why do you shoot with the Z6 um, compared to all the other stuff? And so, um, I think what a lot of people have to understand: if you're ever going to shop for a new camera. Um, is understand what you're shooting, what kind of lighting that you're going to have and how fast you got to shoot it. Um, and so the Z6, it is a mirrorless camera, meaning so typically in any camera that you have, it's got 
or most of them, you've got a mirror in there that shutters every time you take that picture. That's what shoots the light up into the sensor and all that sort of stuff. And so um, with the mirrorless, uh, they build the sensors way larger to where they can take in the light without having to have that mirror in there. And a lot of times allows you to um, capture images in lower light scenarios. And so you have kind of getting more in, like you said, kind of like the, the whole barbecue shooting, um, not really not really trying to stay limited to the outdoor industry. I think as far as my creative edge goes, like I like to push myself. So shooting things outside the outdoors, um, really, I wouldn't even need this camera. Um, it would be overkill for the most part. Um, I had a Nikon D3200 that I that was kind of my starter camera I started out with. Um, kind of learned a lot about, already knew stuff about camera and shooting video. Um, but as far as, you know, learning angles and lighting and all that sort of stuff, that kind of really helped me stair step um, into the photography world. And so, uh, but the Z6, since it's mirrorless, takes low light stuff, duck hunting or even hunting stuff in general, even fishing stuff in general. There's a lot of low light, like you're early in the morning, um, and then you're also you've also got to have fast shutter speed because everything's moving fast. Whether it's a a duck, a person coming up to shoot, or someone casting, or even tying a knot, um, and so that's kind of one of the reasons I chose this camera was just because those those two elements were, worked really well in this camera, and so um, I'm upgrading to a Sony, I think. I still hadn't decided yet. Um, Sony also has a mirrorless camera that I guess they've Sony's been on top of the mirrorless technology for four, five, six, seven years now. I don't remember when their first one came out, but they've been out with mirrorless stuff for a long time. This is Nikon's first mirrorless camera that they came out with a year or two ago. And so um, it's still recently new. Um, I just want something that has um, a bigger megapixel format than what this one has. Uh, from a standpoint, this this is great for a lot of things, but I want to get a little bit more into wildlife photography as far as like a duck by itself coming in or a couple ducks coming in um, or a deer out there in the field. And this camera can get a lot of, because I do, I do take pictures of that, but having the giant or having bigger megapixels um, allows me to be able to crop a lot of stuff out if I have to, um, just to make that picture just that much more perfect. And so um, it's been a great camera. And I mean, for for especially for a lot of the web stuff that I do um, and not having to post it up, stretch it out to be on a billboard or anything, um, it does great. And so but I get a lot of people that ask me all the time, you know, what kind of camera should I get? And I think the big thing is kind of just realizing what your needs are. What you, what do you want to shoot mainly? Do you want to do portrait stuff? Um, portrait stuff is a lot of times still you can shoot in the middle of the day, have plenty of lighting. Um, and so you really don't need anything that high end. Uh, or do you want to shoot food? You know, you, what do you want to do with this food? Is this food going in a menu type situation or is it going in a, book publication or uh is it just going on instagram you know kind of understanding where you're going to use your content is really kind of the biggest 
biggest thing, how you're going to take or what you're going to take and how you're going to use it. And so um, there's a million and a half cameras out there and there's a lot of options and it's kind of overwhelming when you're looking at it. And as a photographer, like even just looking now, I'm kind of overwhelmed because I'm like, oh, which one do I go with type of deal? But yeah, that's the camera that I shoot for now. Um, we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, I'd like to upgrade probably the next month or two since duck season's going to be here. And that's kind of where I take probably 70% of my content. So, uh, yeah, so we'll see what I get next. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, um, I do have, a, I'm just like, this is a hobby for me. Uh, right. my, my food page, my food blog, if you will, is a hobby. Uh, so there's no, there's no pressure. Um, I'm, I'm a self-taught wannabe photographer, food photographer, but there's a whole nother level of, I mean, for what you're doing, I mean, my food staying the same. I can control my lighting. It's not moving. You're dealing with, a uh, uh, uneven terrain, uh, lighting that's ever changing. I mean, the pictures you're right. taking, you don't have a, uh, a lighting guy. There's no, ref uh, uh, reflectors. Um, it's just like an in the moment, capture the moment type of deal. It's, it's probably photography at its purest and the shots are just awesome. So, no, I appreciate that. And I think that's kind of, that's the hard thing is, um, it's not that I don't like stage stuff. It's just the, the like, it's kind of, it's kind of like, I guess, hunting and fishing too, uh, from a standpoint of when you do get that one perfect shot, it's just like, heck yes. Cause you know how hard it is to get that, that style of shot. Um, and so, but like with, even with the, the food or I guess with, with the barbecue stuff that I did recently, uh, my walked in, I, I had, I had never been to play to that place, never seen the lighting, um, never knew the workflow of everything. Um, and so it's kind of one of those things to where, if in your position you're you're really lucky to be able to control that stuff from a standpoint it's a little less stress as far as like when i walked into that into a city meat market like back over their pit they've got one light that hangs out over their pit and if i had had a mirror camera it would have been a little bit harder to get some of those shots that i did um and and as far as like you'll see pictures on my instagram of where that brisket's just steaming and trying to catch Love that, it. that steam in a still image without it looking super blurry, um, is, is not necessarily easy to do when you can't choose your lighting. And so I had to know that at the right kind of shutter speed and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, looking at your pictures, what I love about the pictures that you take is that they look not saying that what I took didn't look edible. It's just what you look, what, what you take, you're like, Oh, that looks so good. Uh, from a standpoint, it's got that. It's, and it's kind of something that I guess you would learn in, in a, a chef's class on kind of how to balance out the look of the plate. Um, whether you're putting, um, herbs here or, you know, you're putting a glaze here and, you know, putting your, your, your meat and your side there and there. And so, you know, I just, I do want to compliment you, even though you say that you're like kind of a hobby guy, like you take some really good photos. And so, and that's kind of one of the beauties that I love about photography these days is that it's so 
easy, I don't want to say easy necessarily, but there's so much stuff out there to teach you how to take cool photos. Um, whereas 20, 30 years ago, you had to, you had to buy an expensive camera, learn how to use it, burn through thousands of dollars of film to really figure out how to use it. Um, and then you could have good film and you could either lose the film or you could, you know, go to try and develop it and mess up on the developing side. Um, you know, have like messed up negatives. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that, that could happen back then. I'm not saying that modern day photographers aren't as talented as those guys back then, but you're coming up with a whole generation. I know kind of you're in my generation. Like we had cameras on our phones, but they like, literally you took a picture and everybody just kind of looked like a Lego block standing yeah. there in the picture. Like it wasn't that great quality, but now you have a, a lot of people have phones and they take great iPhone pictures um, just because you can kind of in, in the Instagram really help with this too, of people like, Oh, how I want to take cool pictures like that. But people are now kind of learning on how to capture or how to get top the eye for photography, whether it's through their iPhone or whether through it's a, it's kind of a beginner camera and they're able to do it as hobbyists. And a lot of times kind of slowly get into like that professional setting to where they can make good money at it, you know, doing it for a living. And so, um, and then of course you got social media, so you can be found a lot easier if that's something that you want to do as getting out of that hobby stage into that more professional stage. But um yeah i mean i i think it's it's your food photography is awesome for what it is um i mean especially since you're kind of cooking most of it so um i definitely want to commend you on that yeah no i appreciate it and like i said the uh at first uh for me it was just a hobby to cook and then i took uh the photography the photography became part of the hobby so um and it's pretty humbling when a guy like you with such a, a great resume and, and some, some beautiful content kind of compliments me. It's a little, it, it kind of, I don't know. It's, it's really good to hear. And, um, but, but, but once again, I'm controlling the whole setup. I got, I got access to everything. Um, I do gauge my cook around the time and, and I'm aware of the sunset and there's different aspects that I can control. So there's, there's a lot of hey, factors in that's not really a bad thing by any means. And I mean, in, in the food scenario, for the most part, um, that's how you would take those pictures. And so, um, even though you say that you're a hobbyist and you kind of getting it figured out, I mean, that's the, the reality is if you were to take that to a professional level, you would do those exact same things. And so, um, you know, I, I'd encourage you to, you know, you might be able to start walking into places there in California say, Hey, look, I take all these, these photos. Do you need photo professional photos done, um, for your restaurant? Um, especially now that a lot of it's online, as far as like people have to order stuff online, come and pick it up. They want to see what it looks like before they order it. They can't be sitting in a restaurant and see it come out on a tray next to them type of deal. And so, um, you know, I, I think even though you do technically have control, that doesn't make you any less of a photographer than me. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that very much. And, and like you said, there is a, a market now. Uh, I think COVID has created a uh, another market as far as uh, content. 
I think there's gonna be a big push for um, people like yourself. Uh, maybe maybe not exactly in the outdoor world, but right, right. Uh, there's definitely gonna be a contactless uh, push. Um, and social media is, is pretty much the wave of, of, of new stuff. And it's, it's a great way to promote, um, you know, like you said, you don't need that billboard anymore on the freeway to, to catch many eyes and, um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, it's all, it's all part of the game now. And, and like you said, 10 years ago, this wasn't a thing you doing this thing. Wasn't really a thing. People hired big uh famous marketing agencies and spent gazillions of dollars now uh here you are able to promote yourself promote your business your brand your ideas the way you want to do it and you do a great job at it no i appreciate that all right jared uh you are officially off the grill i appreciate you very much for coming on you got a great page let everyone know where they can find you and what's going on um, you can find me on Instagram at Jared Everett. I'm sure you'll have to look around to find out how to spell it. Um, but, uh, I'm sure Paul will have it in the description, but you can find me on basically, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Both are at Jared Everett. Um, if you ever have any questions about anything that I do or photography or videography stuff, you know, feel free to give me a shout. I've always try to be vocal. That I'm pretty open with that. Um, or if, even if you just like talking, hunting, fishing, give me a shout. All right. Perfect, man. You did great. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, I hope you and your family uh, stay safe in this time and uh, appreciate you coming on, Jared. Hey, appreciate it. Y'all stay safe too. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We'll catch you on the next one. Take it easy.